Hi guys, um, welcome to another episode of What is Fast Becoming, you know, your favorite podcast about Nollywood, Nollywood Backstories. My name is Shegun Odejimi, and on this episode of Nollywood Backstories, I have um, a big filmmaker, um, big, I use the word big because of what he's done, uh, the statements he's made in the industry, even though physically he might not be the most imposing man around, but um, he's, his works are big. Um, from making his first uh, feature film in 2013, um, he's made um, films, TV series, he's directed TV shows, reality TV shows, and of course, lots um, of um, a couple of you know, amazing short films also to his credit. I have none other than the man who is respected within Nigeria and of course really, really respected outside Nigeria, especially where film conversations are being had. Um, I have with me on this episode Kenneth Gyang. Welcome to Nolu Backstories, Kenneth Gyang. Nice to have you here. Hey, Shagun. I'm actually glad to be here. Um, I was just like um, smiling when you're doing the whole introduction, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's a pleasure having you here. Um, I've always, you know, thought about having a conversation with you. I mean, even when I was working with um, TNS, I think this is the first time I will be having like a, uh, an interview session with you. So I've really looked forward to having a conversation with you. And I hope that we are going to have a robust um, conversation on this episode of Nollywood Backstory. You've been influenced, your work has been influenced by several filmmakers. You've mentioned... Quentin Tarantino, you've mentioned yeah. Mireles, you've mentioned yes. Alejandro Inaritu, and of course exactly. Africa here, you've also, you know, spoken about how Osman Sembene's works have also influenced your works. But then I have not seen, read, or heard you mention a Nollywood filmmaker. And I ask myself, is it that you do not have any Nollywood influences or is it that I've just not come across maybe an interview or a conversation where you have mentioned having a Nollywood filmmaker as one of your influences? Um, so I guess, I guess maybe um, you haven't come across it, but I know that one filmmaker that back then in film school we've always looked up to was Izo Juko. And I remember that um, he came to our school one time for a workshop and we had this clo- close interaction and, and he told me about what was going on in Hollywood. And, and he was the first person to actually open my eye to, 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 to what actually happens out there because he too was coming as an outsider. Okay. He's from Jaws yeah. and coming from Jaws. He doesn't really have the whole support system that other filmmakers in maybe the eastern part of the country will have at the time because the east was like very strong in terms of filmmaking back in the day, right? And so he he didn't actually have that sort of constituency, but um, so so it was basically we talked about his struggles and and how he was trying to carve I mean um, a niche for himself. So, yeah, um, is definitely up there. And then, of course, like, we had conversations too back in the day with um, people like Tunde Kelani. And, 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 and Tunde Kelani, uh, you know, I've worked with him when I did some project with Communicating for Change then, um, CFC. 
um, that was run by Sandra Biago. So yeah, I mean, those two filmmakers, I know I had very close relationship with, but um, in terms of defining a style, I would say that Izo Juku, yes, because of the sort of work ethic he brought into his works then. And and then of course, but for me in terms of the depth of, of work, I have to look at the Francophone filmmakers, like um, apart from Usman, there, there, there's, uh, the, there's Gaston Kabori. Okay. And Adiraman Sosoko. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I mean, I, I just I have always you know wondered that oh, okay who have been your Nollywood influences because whether we like it or not I mean your your market and your immediate audience is still you know Nollywood here and to be honest you have been able to. Um, through most of your works, you know, um, talk to them, speak to them. They've been able to connect with um, a lot of your works, which, of course, we are going to talk about in the course of this. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, of course, like, I mean, um, you, you have to know that, I mean, back in the day, I don't know how how, how many of, uh, how many people have been able to access some of Izu's works, but, I mean, those works used to be very special. I think that the ones people had access to were just the Ambo films, but he's yeah. made really other very good films yeah. other yeah. than those and both yeah. were very popular. Yeah, I mean, Izu 100% uh, deserves his flowers, like 100%. And, and, funny, and funny enough, even before, just about an hour or so ago, before this podcast, I was actually um, on, I think it was Africa Magic Showcase, was showing... Mm-hmm. Six and of course, I mean, as soon as I turned uh, the channel to that, there was no way I was going to turn it away from you know, 76 is also a very, very good film. So, yeah, yeah. so talking about your influences, I mean, I want to move a little bit from film. Um, mm-hmm. apparently, the title of your 2013 film, Confusion Nawa, was influenced by. Um, the title of Fela CBB of Confusion Breakbone. Apparently, Fela was one of your influences growing up. And of course, I, I think I remember listening to an audio interview where you talked about how much you listened to um, BBC or how much you listened to radio, shortwave, you know, frequency. Yes. And of course, BBC growing up and how it influenced you even when you found yourself in a film school, it was because you wanted to go train your voice to become better. Um, so, but then, I mean, beyond Fela, are there any other musical influences for you in Nigeria and why? I mean, to be honest with you, I, I'm just going to say that um, in terms of music, I, I, I grew up in a city where we had really defined programs on radio. And back in the day, um, TV would always just come up at 4 p.m. So what do you do during the day? You have to actually just like have a companion, right? So we were exposed to a lot because we, we used to, to boast that the, 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 the radio, the radio planet in just, I mean, was like bigger than any part of Nigeria and, and that our countdown that was like the the power countdown was I mean highly influential in Nigeria. So if a song is actually topping the just FM charts it means that um it was going to go places in other parts of the country. And I remember that I read I used to read that from um Ayo Anima Shaun's hip hop wall because yeah. I used to buy hip hop wall I mean all the time to read. 
and and i know how they always look up to songs that were were topping the joseph m charts but then in terms of radio it's like uh mondays you listen to rock and roll tuesdays you listen to maybe like an african safari um no no um like makosa and then of course fridays african safari and all of that right Mm-hmm. The thing is that with African Safari, there used to be, and of course on Sundays where you listen to High Life. I mean, for me, that was what I consider authentic music, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, you're talking about um, Oliver the Coco and and you know all those bands from Jazz yeah. that um, became became I mean huge hits back in the day. So for me, that distinct African sound is what I look at because it gives me my identity as as as, as someone from the continent. Mm-hmm. So I could really relate, and and so when I when I got exposed to francophone films, I I got exposed to to the music of you know Salif Keita and Baba Mal and all of that, right? And so I understood that the film the film industry cannot be independent of the cultural um, aspects of yeah, of, no, of, of of the yeah. country's music, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. So for me, I mean, that is actually why in terms of um, the works that I do. I try to define it along those routes, whether it's um, Afrobeats, which I'm really, really angry about the word Afrobeats though. Like, I mean, I will never support it. I'll never call any <laughs> of these Indian uh, music Afrobeats. I'll never use that because I just feel it's an insult to, mm. to, 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 to the legacy of Fela. Yeah, right yeah, so yeah. in terms of like i mean so yeah afrobeat like i mean generally because it gives you that whole um identity so and that is actually what i try to just bring to my films because i feel that it gives you that authenticity so yes i mean fella was like i mean really up there but then of course like you're looking looking at uh, some of the masters of like i mean the highlight world back in the day because um those those clubs were really huge in just and and so well really having some of these live performances and all of that live bands and and and, and because it was the city where the, it's really cosmopolitan because of the tin mining so you had like i mean bendelite house of people Ibo, yoruba all of that like i mean all in one state so that whole cultural thing was really huge and and of course, um, if you're coming from Joss, you can't actually not talk about Damaraya of Joss. Yeah, Damaraya. His music was yeah. distinctly African. So yeah, we used to listen to I mean stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. I mean, it's not really difficult to see uh, or to note because um, a lot of your films, almost all your films have been really, really heavy uh, as regards, you know, African music score and, you know, how, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you the thing with, like, I mean, the music that I use in, in, in Confusion Nawa and, of course, recently, Olotere. When I, when, I, when, I, when I made the film and I was doing the first cut, and for me, I had clear music in my head from the beginning. I mean, this is the kind of music I'm going to play because growing up in jazz, you had all of these bars, as I said, because of the whole tin mining. And those are the kind of, I mean, sounds that were, I mean, they were, they were coming out of these pops. So you had Congo music, but you have like a high life and all of that. So when I just like read them off from, from YouTube, yeah. I just played them the way I actually wanted to play them out in the film and I just left the whole thing to the executive producers to sort it out. And when they actually saw the film with the music in it, they didn't actually want to change anything to out of it. So yeah. yeah. That for me is like um, it's part of the whole cultural experience that you give people with your film. Cool. So um now to talk a little bit about um, how your journey as a filmmaker started. Um, I remember you saying at some point that um, you, there was a time when you were in film school, you wrote a short film, but then you yeah. 
comfortable with the interpretation that the director gave it give to it and then it was one of the things that spurred you to start making your own films and yeah for confusion hour for example you have writing credits on confusion hour but yeah. when i was also doing some research on it i discovered that tom rollard reese um uh-huh. also has writing credits but for story yeah um yeah how would you explain that so um i need to actually go back to my relationship with tom that's i mean and that is like how i started basically you know i i made a short film called mommy legos and it went to the berlinale talent campus and and i made the, the short film with an equipment that i got from my friend we went to shoot her documentary in cross river state so we came back with the equipment and then that day i had this concept on the road and that's like an eight hour journey right but like, i had this concept so before submitting or returning the equipment i decided to make this short film so i edited it myself right and and so it got selected i guess like that's the only nigerian thing that has ever been selected into the as an official entry at the berlinale talent campus because then they used to give themes and they would select maybe like as in 10 films from like different countries to represent right yeah. so i mean so i went to to berlin with my producer who I directed her documentary as well. So the documentary that I directed called Omlea was an official I mean was was selected. So he selected the producer and I was going with my own film uh, Mommy Legos as an official entry and then I had even my scripts Game of Life that was selected in the script doc clinic. Now and it was a first time I was applying for anything. Oh please kindly hold our thoughts. So I just want to get this straight because it was actually one of the things that I would I wanted us to talk about at some point. So Omule was um a documentary you directed. Yes. And then Game of Life I I so then so, Omule is a documentary okay that Regina um uh, Udalo who produced The Lost Cafe Okay. you know we were in film school and so she told me this incredible story about her culture in cross river states okay. where a young girl will be kidnapped and she will be given to another woman in the community and she will be trained to become a role model for all the other young girls in the community and they will teach her dance and so i mean at events she's supposed to be the face of that community so i was fascinated by the story and and so um she was able to raise some funding and we traveled to, to Ogoja in Cross River State to go and make the film and so yes that is my first documentary that i made and and so okay. um yeah so i made um, so we removed like i think we cut out two minutes okay and we entered the Berlinale talent campus for her and she got in and was selected okay the game of life what? yeah so game of life it's um It was selected to at the same time 2006 Berlinale Talent Campus. It's it's um it's a script that I wrote. I developed it at uh, at Imagine. You know, like from film school, we traveled to Burkina Faso to be at the at Imagine in Ouagadougou, where it was set up by Gaston Kabori, the great filmmaker who has made films like Budiam and 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 Wenkuni. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Budiam is actually one of my favorite African films. And so for the first time I was in I was in Ouagadougou okay. and so I was with this filmmaker that I've always read about in book I mean I mean in, in in the books that we had in school 
and he has brought in some tutors from from Ireland, from Canada, to come and teach us. I mean, storytelling and all of that. Okay. So, whilst there, what the story that I actually developed is called Game of Life. It's 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 about. I mean, because um, I was fascinated with football, right? I used to play football. Believe it or not, Shagun, like I mean, I used to be like I'm really good at football. Like I used to be a striker. Okay. You know, so <laughs> so I actually developed a story. I mean, around football. I mean, it's it's a coming of age story. So I sent it to. I applied for the Berlinale script um script clinic, and it was taken. And and the major one was Mommy Legos, which was an official entry because the theme for that year was to make a film on food hunger and taste. Okay. And so I made this short film about the incredible power of African food, and I was looking at it from the perspective of this Yoruba woman, whom we call Mommy Legos, mm-hmm. and and you know, like I'm mean, talking about her Amala and all of that, and how it is actually the catalyst for, for like the strength mm-hmm. of of Africans, and they really love that short film. So it was an official entry. So mm-hmm. so my first my first outing, I actually had three projects at the major events like the Berlinale Campus. It was incredible, you know. So yeah, so that for me is a journey. But then going to Berlin, that is how I met Tom Roland's race. And he's coming in. He won a competition from the UK as well. And he has, um, I mean, he has a PhD from Oxford University, right? Like, he is a real brainiac. And, and, and so, but he was making these films, um, these short films. And I think he won the Stella Atwa um, competition. So we met, and and of, apparently, Tom's parents had actually lived in Nigeria. They were expatriates at Amadi Bello University in Zaria. Wow. So like he remembered this house award, Sanu. Mm. So when he saw me, that's the only thing he told me, Sanu. <laughs> so yeah, so we had this like I mean. Uh, we had this incredible connection and so we we started i mean keeping in touch and yeah we we decided to actually yes later we started to form a, a production company together but then we started working on um on on, on confusion hour so tom at the stories that we had um were not really strong enough so tom actually created those stories and then we wrote the screenplay so he will come to nigeria He'll be writing the we'll be writing the script together, right? And then he'll be like, Oh, Kenneth, can we just go and get that Akara? So we'll walk mm-hmm. down in just yeah. to the street to go and buy Akara, you know, because like he really loves Akara. So that's actually how we kept writing. Sometimes I'll go to the UK and we'll sit down and just do some writing, or he'll come to Nigeria. So yeah, that was mm-hmm. actually how we kept our friendship, I mean, uh, through the end years. Because for me, that is why I always encourage people to go for all these international events and try to understand the, the, the power of networking. Yeah, networking. So that was what happened with the story. Yeah, so we, we I mean, he wrote the stories um, mm-hmm. because the stories were not really strong enough and then of course um uh we, we wrote the screenplay together the thing with tom that you need to understand is that like he's an he's an incredible uh uh supporter of all like i mean he understands the culture like he understands black culture mm-hmm. right so i mean in terms of like as in the pigeon he's not the sort of guy that will come even though he's a proper proper middle class Right, I mean Oxford University. Yeah. Um, uh, he had like, I mean, first class in his like, uh, what's like, I mean, his degree, yeah. and then like uh, he did physics. So I mean, he did lectures at Pentagon and all of that stuff. So, but he is 
a proper, I mean, lover of culture. So he understood, I mean, he wanted to learn about the culture. And so like we talked about the culture and then his storytelling ability. And then we decided to actually write this incredible um, screenplay that we then applied for funding from Hubert Bowles and, and we got funding for. Wonderful. Cool. Awesome. So, I mean, now that we are talking about relationships, there are two more relationships that I would uh, like us to talk about. Um, so for actors, so when, I mean, he's worked with you at least, um, from what I can derive twice, he's been in two of your films. Um, first one is, um, he was in Confusion Hour and of course, um, he was in... Uh, I can't really remember the second one now, but Ali who your relationship, and then uh, he he also produced. Um, yeah, he he's in, he, yeah, he's in, he's in Function Hour, and he's in Blood and Henna. Yeah, and he has produced production credits in Blood and Henna. So, what or where or how did your relationship with Ali start? I mean, so Ali who is is one of the biggest stars we have in Africa, right? Because he comes with like population of i mean millions and millions and millions of house speaking people around africa mm-hmm. and he's a superstar in that market so if you're actually going to look at it in terms of numbers he is one of the biggest stars we have in africa because i mean he is his his fame actually supersedes just another part of nigeria mm-hmm. but the thing with alinohu is that he always wants to expand his reach so, um, with Ali, we started working because, you know, when I, when I was in, in Berlin, what I didn't actually mention is that I, uh, someone saw my short film and he really liked it. So he decided to actually give me a job. I mean, hook me up with some guys who are coming to Nigeria to come out, to, to come and do stuff for the BBC. Okay. And that was waiting there. And waiting there is this radio drama that actually set a lot of standard for, I mean, um, television programming in Nigeria. Because it's one of those programs that was even presented at the International Emmys, I think, in in, in 1997, I think. And so, the thing with waiting there was that it brought in actors from all over Nigeria, but then it was the young people. But one thing that I need to actually put on tape is that when I was in Berlin, and when this man um, approached me to tell me that he's seen my short film on the portal and he asked me if I wanted to work with the BBC and I told him I've always wanted to work with the BBC my whole life. And so he hooked me up with John Confra, who is like one of the masters of, I mean, of, of filmmaking in the world. Okay. I mean, he's one of those guys who really understand the depth of, of, of filmmaking, right? Mm-hmm. And so John Confra owns Smoking Dogs films. And so... I, I, that's how I got in touch with them because Smoking Dawson shot the pilot episode of Waiting Day. Okay. Um, and so, um, when I actually, um, uh, came back to, I mean, to, to Nigeria, they wanted young people to work with the BBC and because they didn't actually want to touch what they feel was already the contaminated nature of our storytelling in Nollywood. So they wanted to actually get people that they can, they, they can teach them and, and they can, the people will just like, I mean, follow along that line. So I told them about the National Film Institute and, and that's how I got a lot of young people to, to get to work with the BBC. That was what happened. And so, you know, we had these interviews in Abuja and, and, 
and for the first time right you finish film school and you have a job because our seniors before then we had maybe like as in three or four sets ahead of us who finished and 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 they actually had to go into other things like banking working with the government because there was no industry that was going to accept them because if you're coming from a film school in jails at that time you were seen as an outcast and so nobody actually wants to, to open up to you because people were scared of young people yeah. right so i mean i had a lecturer who was teaching editing and he didn't want to show you what machines he was touching on the cut and join bench mm-hmm. right and 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 now like the computer showed up with adobe and now we could actually just like cut from 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 that but then again so it was in bbc when i was working that i met ali nuho okay i became friends because he was one of the actors that was where i met also kj as well so yeah. when we had the script for confusion now i gave it to i sent it to ali nuho and he read it and he told me he was going to be in the film for free Mm-hmm. and that was how he actually acted in that room for free for free it was a simple like i mean he acted in blood and henna for free yeah right yeah. now ramsey noah as well when he read the scripts he was on his way to la he read the yinka sent him the script because they worked on them on on, on on figuring and so when he landed in the in, in in the u.s the first thing he did was to call him and tell him that he actually wants to make the film so that was how we were able to get this task like i mean for nothing and and we didn't actually pay around Ram, uh, ramsey or anything mm-hmm. cool cool awesome so um that's alinuhu and the relationship which of course has lasted to to date and um so your relationship with muabudu i mean hello Yeah, yeah, I'm here. No, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I lost you for a minute. So, I mean, uh-huh. your professional relationship started, of course, um can be traced to begin from maybe it could have started before then, but at least it began with Castle and Castle in 2018 and then it continued with Oloture in 2019. So, where and how and when did your relationship with Muabudu start? Shebo. Yeah, my relationship with Mabulu started like I'm mean, way long, right? Way back. Okay. When she set up the Ebony Life. Um, yeah, Ebony Life TV. It was in Calabar. Yeah. And they wanted a director for the first um reality show they did, a major reality show they did that had to do do it i mean um uh, i mean uh, other countries around africa and that was the partner room yeah and so they got in touch with me um they wanted me to come on and and, and direct the partner room um and you you're looking at um 2012 okay. i think okay. that 20 yeah it should be around 2012 so yeah so i was in in calabar at the Tinapa um, Lakeside Hotel for 30 days directing the most uh difficult project I've ever done in my life you know because I it's reality and so the cameras had to be rolling almost all the time and I wasn't warned because it was like the first time I was I was doing this and it was incredibly painful and I told myself that I'm never going to do another reality show again in my life wow. <laughs> 
Wow. No matter how much is involved. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, like I mean, I did Big Brother though. Like I was the, I was uh, for some point at some point I did like I mean, content um, director for, for 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 Big Brother, but I didn't actually get to go to South Africa because I had to choose between going for the Yave Producers Workshop, which is like a one-year development workshop in Europe for elite producers, or to go for Big Brother, and I decided to go with Yave. That was 2017. But 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 back to this, right? Like um, so yeah. So I did the party room, and party room was incredible because we had um, uh, people from Botswana, Ghana, Zambia, um, Nigeria, South Africa, and so like you had this young woman who who were put in 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 a village in a community that uh, to experience the party room of the Efi culture. So that was the first thing that I did, and and so don't forget that in. And then, of course, I made um, a a sitcom for her. You know, uh, we had conversations. She was starting and she needed some programming. And so she came to me that if it is possible to do a low-budget sitcom. And so that's how, for the first time, I worked with Define DK. This was like 20, 2014. I did um, How I Made My First Million with Gold Iponsa and, and, and Meg Otanwa. Yeah. And, and and we had fun in just you know we got this set where we actually made like a real cool sitcom i mean written by tom and and, and a couple of other writers and it's beautiful but then we had we, we we had like i mean our own uh wahala with ebony life as well because yeah. um they wanted us to to clean it up some more and we wanted more money and they wanted us to clean it wanted us to clean up first before they give us more money and <laughs> we were like no we wanted more money it's like then uh, we had all this whole conversation and then we were like no please i beg i beg we're not going to do it again do you understand yeah. but but yeah so um you could see the sort of relationship that I actually like as in heart so like when people see and for me um the last one i mean so imagine with with that whole one then of course like um because we didn't actually conclude on that and you know i mean mo abudu is a very demanding woman and she wants um she wants she's a perfectionist basically right, right? so so like we got to um sons of the caliphate and i directed the whole first season of sons of the caliphate in 2016 like alone right and it was one of the hour hugely successful shows in nigeria so yeah we've had that whole relationship i mean from back in the day but um in the middle of that of course like there were films we're supposed to work on and of course uh we didn't actually happen and we moved on and all of that but why i actually have respect for her is that anytime i mean if if it is like I've seen people where you have arguments with them and disagreements and they will never actually want to work with you again. But she always wants, she always like has put aside some of those um, biases to just get to work with the best people that I mean she actually has around. So even the people who will actually follow with her in the course of like I mean um, business transactions, uh-huh. they will still get to work again together. I mean much later if you actually look at the the the. the I mean the trajectory in the industry. I don't know if you actually like I mean, experienced. I mean, you've seen that, but that's actually what it, what it is like I mean, with her. So yeah, that's so I have like a very long relationship with her before Olotere. Okay. But 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 after Olotere, yeah, my whole perception about her changed actually. Like I thought she was like this really hardcore woman. Then I found out that 
honestly like i mean if you look deep beneath that layer she's very very soft and she just wants to to be sure that she has um the right person helming her project that's all so i remember that people were afraid that during olotire she's going to be controlling the project and all of that but for me i was coming from my own indie background and it was the first time i'm actually working for anyone in the industry i've never made anything for anybody she's the only person i've ever made film for right so when i actually saw the opening of the script it was the first six pages and it was interior of the of the pub yeah and everything was supposed to happen interior and i wrote an email and and i told her that okay this is actually how i want to do it i wrote to her and 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 and, and the producer Heidi and i told her okay this is actually how i want to execute this project this opening i mean i want to start it from outside and you know all of that you know and she told me that it's incredible she actually likes the idea so the first day of shoot it was the first the first opening scene was the first day we shot as in on the set yeah which is actually yeah. but like when we did that and she was in the monitor and she saw all of that like yeah she never actually told me anything again she never bothered to say anything so yeah i think like i mean we have this relationship where we have a lot of respect i mean for each other i'm really happy that um she actually got to make a lot of money after the film because people were were discouraging her that okay she's making a film that's not going to make money because the industry has been made to believe that this are only certain kinds of films that will make money in Nigeria which i totally feel that it is just um bollocks yeah yeah i i i, I, get, I think personally my opinion is that every kind of film has its market although sometimes um the distribution channels for what kind of film really varies i mean some films will not do well no matter how long they stay in cinemas you get but that doesn't mean that nigerians don't want them it's just that the cinema going audience those who go to cinemas with maybe you know the guy and the girl that goes to cinema you know having the family day out going to cinemas that's not the kind of film they want to see but then if you put that no but but you know what right but you know what right i mean i'm definitely going to disagree with you right i mean here because the first thing is that <clears throat> i was at the cinemas during the the last easter break okay right yeah and and it was so huge hi kenneth um if you can hear me your mic is mute okay yeah so so like um it's um yeah so i was actually at the cinema and and for me what i saw was that um there were a lot of families who were there to watch films and honestly if a film is good and a film is available and their timing is right people are going to watch it that's the honest truth right that is number one number two we need to actually cultivate i mean an audience i mean it's not even hard to actually do that because for what you're saying i mean certain kinds of film nollywood actually came from the background of drama a lot of drama yeah right so uh, what is a place of drama i mean all the all the vcds and the, and the, and the, and the, and the vhs that were actually selling in droves back in the day they were all drama they were not even comedy right mm-hmm. so 
for me i'm not saying that i mean uh or people shouldn't actually make comedy or people shouldn't actually make drama i'm just saying that there's actually market for all kinds of film if you are able to market your film right and if you happen to have the right window to showcase your film yeah I, I, so I agree with you, but my my point was was this. I mean, yes, um, Nollywood, you know, coming from the place of making dramas. I mean, that's where, you know, we got the time where um, a lot of foreigners will say we are very melodramatic. Uh, things are mellow, you know, very melodramatic and all that. I agree, but then the audience we have now is actually, to be honest, not the kind of audience we had then. Now. I mean, a young guy and a young girl. Yes, like like you said, if I am in the cinema to watch a film, if your film is available, I'll watch. But then the films that make a lot of money are the films that after I watch with my girlfriend or my male friends, I get out of the cinema and I post on Twitter or on Instagram and say, oh, I just saw this uh, amazing film. I had an exciting time. I was laughing from beginning to end or it was an emotional roller coaster, whatever it is. And then people see yeah. like And then... So you know, tell me, right, Shagun, like, for me, I understand what you're saying, but I'm just saying that, like, I mean, if you look at the, the incident of, I mean, Teleperis at Primoni, for instance, yeah. people were not laughing, but it is actually one of the most talked about films, like, yes. I mean, in Nigeria. Yes, yes, true. Right? So, so that's what I'm actually saying. Like, I mean, that whole culture, right? I don't have a problem. Look, when people talk, right, they try to push filmmakers like us to a corner, and I just laugh because mm-hmm. Confusion Hour is yeah. actually a comedy. It's a tragic. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tragic comedy. Yeah, but it's a comedy. Yeah, and when people watch it, people laugh until the opening that we actually start for them and then they actually realize okay i mean the ending and okay people start actually talking about about it in terms of like i mean the ending but mm-hmm. it's basically i mean comedy mm-hmm. right and, and so so for me i understand the scale of it what i don't understand is the scale of it in nigeria like i understand the international scale of comedy but i don't understand the international scale i mean i don't understand the scale of comedy mm-hmm. in nigeria yeah. and and for and for me like if you're making a film, you have to make a film as an artist, right? It doesn't matter if you're doing comedy. You have to treat comedy as an artist. Like, you're not going to tell me that, okay, Charlie Chaplin is not an artist. Would you say that, Shingo? I want to ask, would you say he's not an artist? An amazing artist who took his craft very That's it. Yeah. Thank you. And it's a comedy. Exactly. It's a comedy. So, like, it needs to actually have skill, Right. When you look at, I mean, the careers of maybe like, I mean, the Red Robbie Williams or even this other guy, like, I mean, that actually designed the office, right? Yeah. I mean, there's actually all kinds of comedy, comedy that we actually need to just think about. Not that we're going to have one-dimensional comedy. Like, mm-hmm. have comedy, but please let it not just be one-dimensional comedy. I mean, people have made all sorts of genre. Even, I mean, the, the, the zombie, um, the horror genre, in terms yeah. of like a zombie, yeah. right? I mean, there's actually comedy for it. So, that is actually what we need to just think about, mm-hmm. right? Is a skill that I have a problem with, and so when I see people that I mean, people, we I mean, we're basically just doing I mean, um, comedy or drama in Nigeria, and when I see people that I mean, because you make like as in what you perceive to be laugh a minute comedy, which is actually not, then you think that okay, the other filmmakers now are making art films, which people don't even understand the meaning of art films, and it feels like. The ignorance of like I mean um, um, young people in the industry of, yeah. of, of filming in Nigeria. Do you understand? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, uh, true. Totally agree. People think when you talk about art films, it has to be a film where you know you wouldn't understand, you would not understand it. You have to start, you know. Thank you. We're just talking about like exactly. We're just saying that man doesn't make a film yeah. that has a scale of a film that people will actually say, okay, this is a very good film in mm-hmm. terms of like I mean the production design, in terms of like I mean, how you do the framing, in terms of actually how you do staging. So don't give me a film with close up. Close up here, close up here. You go to shoot with like I mean two cameras, and you say, okay, let us shoot like this across. See you, see you, see you. White shots, and then you say, okay, that's it. That is not art. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. I mean, this is a conversation that, to be honest, um, if we are going to have it, we, we are going to have to dedicate a whole episode, you know, to it, and you know, talk talking about how, you know, to actually make art. You know, come through in your films, regardless of what genre you are making. You know, treating your film as a work of art, regardless of whether you are making horror or comedy or drama, mm-hmm. like this. Uh, but then let's let's get back to you know discussing, uh, talking about your journey. So I mean, we've talked about your relationships with um, Ali Nungu, with um, Tom Tom Roland, with um, Mo Abudu. Uh, mm-hmm. But this, so we haven't really spoken about this film, Lost Cafe. I was made in 2018 and i'm especially you know interested to know how you know the casting of somebody who of course is a writer nigerians know her as a writer she's known you know around the world as a writer <laughs> and, yes she played the you know, lead role in the film and she actually you know got nominated for her performance in the film so how did casting tundiala deshe as the lead character in Lost Cafe come about? So I need to go back, like, I mean, because I need to actually give you context, right? Um, I'm very good working with actors, and that's why I'm very grateful that I have a lot of actors who want to work with me in the industry. I have a lot of superstars that when I talk to them about working with me, they always want to do it or they get in touch with me to tell them about their i mean to tell me about their availability so i feel that once you have the intelligence i will be able to get the sort of performance that i want out of you i always feel that is actually how it's and every performance that you see on screen is a performance that i'm actually responsible for and is a performance that i've actually stretched of the performance okay. out of the performance right okay. now I, I in in I think it was, should be maybe 2007 or 2008. I can't remember. I no, it was earlier than that. I actually did some work with Search of Common Ground, and they were making a series called The Station. And people like Imo Umoran, who is now a director in Nigeria, is 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 an actor on the show. And people like George Pura, who is now working with African Magic. I mean. They were like uh, working on the show as well, right? I mean, in terms of like the research departments and all of that. And I was working as a writer, Utunde and and Yomi and um, I Omaide. And so, but Tunde was, you know, like there's a certain look that she has with her short hair, and and back in the day, you know, people were not. I mean, women were not really brave about cutting their hair. It was always about having the the attachments, or I mean, I mean, waving, or I mean, all sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And and Tunde was just like 
straightforward i mean this is actually her personality mm. and and she's so beautiful and mm. i told her that okay um if ever i'm going to work on my on any film and i have a character that looks like you i know you're a writer i mean you're the head writer now tinsel and she's working on hotel majestic and all of that right major shows in africa and i said well, i'm going to get you to actually act for me so the first script that i actually sent to her my first working relationship with her was in in confusion hour i sent her the script because again i was in abuja and and we left the bbc to come on watch the show at the at the women's center and tunde was like part of the cast of the monologue i mean she wrote it she wrote a part that was so great that the director of the of the of the stage play told her that oh it'd be great if you can actually just come and act in it right and so and then i saw her on stage again so that actually reinforced the fact that okay, what i saw earlier on when we were working as writers yeah. wasn't a fluke mm-hmm. so with confusion now i just felt she was a perfect person for it and 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 she got nominated for AMVC for best supporting actress as well and she won the Nigerian Entertainment Awards in, in New York for for best supporting actress as well she won that one so uh with the lost cafe you know i had a conversation with Cindy about the fact that we don't have lots of female directors in Nigeria and she needs to study directing and that's how she went to Germany to want to study directing and and so she decided to actually stay back there so i'm going to make a lonely film about a girl in Scandinavian country like I mean who is the best person that you think is going to play that show? Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> yeah, somebody who, who of course is in that space. I mean, you know, she spends time Exactly. With, uh, I mean because like Scandinavian this Scandinavian experience will not be very far away from the Berlin experience that she's going to have because of mm-hmm. course like I mean I mean yeah, Berlin is much more cosmopolitan mm-hmm. but I guess like you know when you actually like walk through East Berlin you yeah. feel a bit of I mean, I mean that whole isolation yeah. as a foreigner. Yeah. So anyway, so that's actually how I got today, and today actually understood like she's so intelligent that she actually understands the atmosphere because I wanted to make like I mean like an African atmospheric film, mm-hmm. you know, like I mean slash European atmospheric film where uh, for me it's about like I mean every frame has to be just be like I mean there like a portrait and then like I mean put the character there and then they actually play. It. that if you pause it you could actually just print it as a postcard right so it was that kind of framing that I actually wanted so i needed that whole that whole understated acting not someone is over the top right and she was actually going to deliver that because she understands um the language of film so basically i mean that's actually how she got to do i'm um, the lost cafe yeah she was nominated for best actress i think mm-hmm. at the african movie academy awards yes and, and 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 yeah i was really happy for her because um i think that um after that she worked with sidio basi on on um on hello rain so yeah that's my relationship with today yeah from writing yeah to 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 an actor okay cool so um now i i want to find out from someone who has you know filmed most of his works basically in nigeria to someone who filmed i mean part of lost cafe was filmed in norway so i i want to i want you to do a little comparison of the two spaces i know that it might be unfair you know to nigeria to compare filming in nigeria and filming with norway 
However, no, it's not going to be unfair, Shagun. Like, we need to just be fair to ourselves <laughs> and tell ourselves the truth. Right. The structure doesn't really work in Nigeria, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's right. Because I got funding. I got funding from. Um, I mean, Regina got funding from um, uh, the project Act Norwood project, right? Which is like supposed to be five million naira. Like, I'm not sure we got five million naira at the end of the day, right? Okay. And so, I I was like, I talked to Michael Parish, and I told him that look, I would really love to have original lenses on my film. Because I want to capture that whole European atmospheric type of film, yeah. right? I want to show this lonely girl and how she feels. And by the way, um, it's almost like personal to me. I really hate it when I travel abroad because after a week or two, I feel very lonely. Like, I like the fact that I can just meet you. I mean, like the way last time we met at Fela's Shrine yeah. and we just like, I mean, hey, what's up? That's what's going on. Do you understand? Like, I just hate that whole thing where you have to be in a country where you cannot actually be free. Right? So I wrote to Angino in France that it would be nice if they give me their lenses. You know what Angino did? They gave me two of their lenses. And this is a company that makes some of the best zoom lenses. I mean, probably the best zoom lens I mean in the world. Oh, yeah. Right? And they actually gave us two of those that will have cost the production 25,000 euros so now the problem is that because there was no solid insurance company in Nigeria in 2016 right no solid one that we could actually just think about so we couldn't actually bring those lenses to Nigeria Hmm. I mean you know you know the problem of how Hamilton had problems with um, bringing the equipment to Nigeria you know like we have problems like that yeah exactly exactly because they don't the people who are even working on the port don't even understand i mean the power of nigeria's film industry as well so to them everything is almost like a money-making venture anyway so in terms of like an insurance there's nothing so we couldn't bring the lens to nigeria that is actually one thing that you'll see but then in 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 europe they were able to send the lenses to um norway and even when they demanded 5,000 euros, the cost of demanded 5,000 euros, and you know, actually paid for it. So, in, 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 in value, that would be like 30,000 euros. They're just getting from a, a country that was not even part of the shoot. That is France, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Now, in Norway itself, um, they have this film place for young people where they have all sorts of i mean equipment that you could go as a, as a young filmmaker i mean they have incredible stuff like red cameras and all of that because we show with the red there and it was actually for free because there was a structure that works and it was supposed to be the provision for young people and all of that stuff right yeah. now coming back to nigeria we didn't even have a lens that could actually even match what they are giving us in europe so the cinematographer in Nigeria, Ifan Yolodiba, really, really pulled all the stops to make sure that he was able to get the sort of picture that we got at the end of the day, right? Because we shot in Calabar, and we wanted to make it like I mean, it's from like a, one city surrounded with water to another city surrounded with water, which is like Dramen in Norway, and of course Calabar. And we didn't actually want to make it look like I hate it when like you're watching films by Nigerians and they say, "Oh yeah, we shot it abroad," but you see like the the pictures abroad 
look way better than the pictures from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at Lancelot, the Lancelot in Masterman's um, Invasion 1885 or something 1895. Yeah, you see that the UK shots look way better than I mean what was shot in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So like we need so for me like I'm always scared about like when trying to balance it but going through the lost cafe I understood what Lance Lord might have actually gone through because like maybe he didn't actually have the right equipment to come to Nigeria to actually come and film the scenes in Nigeria because of insurance as well and, and all sort of things. So for me uh, I, I wanted to actually bridge that gap and 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 so that I had to talk to Ifani about how we would be able to do this thing in order to just like bridge it. But yeah, it's so in terms of like the walking, you find that I mean, Europe is way smoother and they really understand. But in Nigeria, it is very difficult, which is was like, the problem that I was having with Bank of Industry when I was telling them that I've got money from from Norway, sorry, from Netherlands for Convision Hour. I've got support from Norway and, and France for, for the Lost Cafe. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten any support from Nigeria because like the structure is not just there. Like it's so capitalist in terms of lack of thinking. And even on the streets, it's worse because you're, you're filming. You're filming on the streets. There's no um, protection from you know from towels, from urchins, and so mm-hmm. it's 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 crazy. I, I I understand that. I mean, and that's what I was saying. You know, to be honest, you um, trying to compare something shot in nigeria with you know something shot in a place like norway might might be a little unfair to the filmmaker but then i'm, I'm glad we had that conversation so um if, for someone who um if someone traces your films i uh, would see that one recurring thing in most of your films is you know po- political unrest that goes on in nigeria and that is not surprising for someone who you know uh comes from Joss, where, you know, from transition, where it um, there was that transition from being one of the peace, most peaceful places in Nigeria, most pe- peaceful and beautiful places in Nigeria, to be honest, to, you know, a place where sectarian violence had become, you know, the order of the day, political unrest, curfews, and so on and so forth. And, I mean, I can totally relate, even though I've, I think I've been to Joss just one or twice, once or twice, but... For someone, I was born in Kaduna, so I can also, you know, relate with some of. <laughs> so that's that's the problem. <laughs> Please, that's the problem. Don't disgrace me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's something. To be honest, I I actually regret. Um, I wish I was able to speak Hausa. If I if I, I if I tell you this, you'll probably just end the call right now. I, I spent the first 14 years of my life in in Kaduna, but then I cannot speak oh, other than um, this No, that should be like a real regret. Yeah, Abinchi, Doya and just all those small small words. Exactly. Doya ah no okay no okay. I, I mean, it's a regret because so what happened was I really didn't get to mix with a lot of you know Hausa people. You know, I stayed in a community or a place where there were lots of southerners and then my school, I attended Federal Government College. So um, I mixed so much with a lot of southerners and less northerners. So I, I guess that's one of the things that contributed to me not being able to speak. But like I, as I was saying, you get, um, I understand that um, political unrest is one of uh, the things that you like to talk about in your film and looking at what is happening in nigeria today to be honest i mean it's like you you've i i, I don't like saying it i mean when people say oh fella was a prophet or 
um this person is a prophet but i mean it's something you've spoken about a lot in your films and you know looking around today nothing has changed to be honest in fact it has gotten worse um so aside from um political unrest um discussions about political unrest if you are making films going forward what are the other themes that you think you haven't spoken much about that you would probably like to speak about going forward no um the thing is that um look there's a lot of things that you actually need to talk about in nigeria right and 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 so for me i have done different layers of of, of projects in terms of um i tried i started with like low budget like confusion hour yeah and i saw how much money we've gotten in terms of like i mean value mm-hmm. then of course like the lost cafe and then i did the lottery so the constituency is is growing and and for me I feel that film, I respect the fact that film is entertainment, so I try to bring that entertainment right, but fusing it with a message. But the message for me is not the 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 key thing that has to be in the face of the audience. So I can't actually just start talking about the fact that, okay, maybe next time this is what I'm going to talk about, but there are things that I feel really strong about. For instance, um, during the pandemic, I was writing... A story about how I feel the Nigerian political situation is in terms of how the economy treats young people. And for me, I I I looked. I'm looking at making a film about the fact that the whole problems that young people have in Nigeria is just down to sex. And and sex. and sex. Yes. And I'll okay. tell you why. And I'll tell okay. you. I'll explain to you. Okay. I feel that the older generation who are holding on to the means of the economy, right, are doing so and oppressing the young people because they want to hang out with some of these younger girls. And 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 for me, I just feel that if it's, it's like a situation where the younger people will have the same amount of wealth as the older people then they might not even be losing their i mean their girls their women so some of these older people because like if you have been in, a, in places where you find i mean a lot of people in a political um um circle you'll see that they're just surrounded with young with, with young girls i mean underage girls teenage girls and all of that and i feel that that quest for for, for for i mean for the beauty of sex is actually what is making the whole country to be in a state i mean of where it is today so that for me is is, is like my, my my thinking of my next film and i'm thinking about situation how much is going to put it in yeah oh, okay all right thank you um we've actually covered a lot of ground um on this episode uh with our discussion uh about a lot of things and of course we've spoken a little you've spoken a little now about what um, you would want to do going forward or at least something you would like to speak about going forward but just yesterday you posted a tweet and i'm going to read that. i was only taking on it continue the tweet about what uh so um I'm, I'm going to read it out now so you said no other director has ever been held up to such an impossible standard and and then you quoted um uh 
Yes, you said Citizen Kane is the greatest cause of my life. Every time I do anything, people start comparing this to where it stands vis-a-vis what they call the great American movie. And then you say that you said that for you, that's Confucian Awa. And <laughs> especially for someone like me who has, you know, referenced Confucian Awa uh, several times in some of my write-ups as regards to your works and all that. And I mean, it was probably one of the first um first times i was coming across your works and then i saw Kamshanawa. and to be honest it's been hard to you know put away that standard that had been set with that film anytime i am you know seeing any of your films uh nowadays so how how do you feel when people hold you to this in quote impossible standard of what you <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, I like the fact that um, I've made a film that everybody is seeing it as the industry standard. Um, I've had filmmakers like um, uh, Dari or Lighton who was telling me about the fact that when he was on film now, and that is actually what inspired him to come back to Nigeria to work. You know, like, I mean, my friends, like, I mean, um, Abba Makama, who, I mean, I respect a lot and all of that stuff, right? I mean, saying that, because even when I won the armor, I remember the message I got from Imo and from Walter Banga about the fact that, man, it has actually shown that uh, young filmmakers can actually just do what they want and be able to stand to to this industry headways, right? Now, so I know, like, the place of confusion in history because at the time that it was made, we don't have really independent filmmakers making that sort of independent film. It was all really totally commercial filmmaking and all of that. So you wouldn't have people taking their cameras and taking maybe like 2 million or 3 million naira to say, okay, let's just try to just shoot something. And even a 3 million naira is going to come in terms of a grant and all of that. So, I appreciate that. Right? It's just that I just don't want to end up like, um, Orphan Wells, where people look at you and they don't give you support towards their, I mean, towards like, I mean, achieving those, I mean, towards making those stories that you want to make Mm -hmm. because they feel that um, you're not supposed to make big films. So that's actually one of the things I was talking with um, Bank of Industry the other day. Mm-hmm. When I told them that yes, I need X amount of money for my film because like, I've already gotten other producers on my personal project I want to do, which is going to be on a huge scale, and and they are trying to advise me against using lots of I mean money and all of them. Like okay, but I've already proven myself in all of these films, and I'm like proving that I have audiences. I mean, if Olutere was like top ten in twenty five countries, means that I mean twenty five countries from France to Brazil to Oman to Saudi Arabia. You all know my name as a filmmaker, so it will be a filmmaker of interest. Mm-hmm. It will be like an interesting name next time I like, actually see it works, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to actually like just get boxed up like that. But so that's for me is why I don't put myself under so much pressure of trying to make a film that is like confusion now because confusion now on its own is actually an entity. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that it's actually coming back on Netflix again, right? Mm-hmm. Very soon. I mean and, and people will actually have access to watching this film now they have access to, to, to Netflix because when it was on Netflix the first time uh, there was no Netflix in Africa mm-hmm. so it was only for people for, 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 I mean, for audiences out of the continent so I feel the pressure but then uh, 
for me it's just like to just do better that's actually why i love my critics like i read every single thing that my critics actually i mean talk about in fact when i was teaching my class the other day i pulled up what did the chica wrote about the lost cafe and and on the on the lagos him society and how it was like i mean a, a like he totally i mean tore the lost cafe apart but i actually like i was cringe on the big screen for my class and i told them that you need to actually know that i mean there are critics and your work is going to once it's actually out there in public space people actually want to tear it apart i mean if they don't like it and you should actually be open to that so for me that's it but then again like i, mean, I just want to just like i mean ask you the question again like me after watching i mean they love me when i'm dead and 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 of course like i mean the the other side of the wind i just feel that that is actually the greatest film that awesome work has ever, i mean that has ever been made in the world because i look at it at the time that it was made and with the hindrances that he had there was nobody that's actually made the film with such amazing detail like i mean like the guy so for me i mean uh i just feel that i mean he's getting all these things after he's dead but it should have been when he's alive yeah but i don't know what you think have you seen those films uh, the documentary anything? No, 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 no. I haven't seen the. the no, I haven't, I haven't seen it. But yeah, that is actually like I mean, the other side of the wind is the greatest film that has ever been made in the world. Like I mean, now like that is actually my favorite film in the world. In the world. So yeah, I think you should actually see it. I was actually going to ask you that question. That that what's what's your favorite film in the world? I mean, I I used to be like I've drawn in like I mean before then I was like a huge fan of you know Children of Men because of the. Of the authenticity that Alfonso Cuarón was able to to bring to that script, mm. right? Mm. And and so like you could actually see in terms of like I mean the staging and incredible action that is actually going on and the humanity behind those stories like it was incredible, right? Yeah. But honestly, the other side of the wind is like the greatest film that's ever 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 been made. And and I guess like you should always just see that film in in, in I mean put the context of the documentary. Of by making the film because it was about the double layers that he was talking about. He's making a film about a washout director coming from Europe to come and claim like I mean he's I mean lost glory in not in Hollywood, and and of course like I mean at the same time he had actually commissioned a documentary about himself. Quickly said that in fact it's a famous line in the, in the documentary when he said that if I'm making a film about two people, but I but you you realize that the picture yeah. About the conversation happening behind the picture is more interesting than the picture itself. It means that the picture behind the picture is now the picture. I get. Um, hello, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, ra- wrapping up, is there any? um anything you would like to you know um say as regards where nollywood is where distribution is i mean i wanted to have a conversation with you around distribution but to be honest that's um uh, we've we've spent i, I mean to be honest with you like i mean distribution for me um if you look at it like i mean because uh, i did this presentation with the national world college in washington dc and i was looking at the budget i mean the 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 the, the screens that we have in nigeria is almost like 300 screens i think 200 and eight two screens or so right in nigeria and i feel that like in fact what they were actually astonished i astonished about was the fact that 
the Nigerian film industry was able was able to actually grow up in such within such an incredible short span. So even they actually recognize it, right? And I know that okay, it's the fact that we're really do we're really growing. So I feel that in terms of like I mean where we're going to be in Hollywood is that we will get to be a force where um, people will be making films and considering um, how we feel. I mean in Nigeria. I mean, vis-a-vis -vis what actually happens with Hollywood now and China, where they have to just think about it, right? So I feel that we're actually just going to get there. I'm not a pessimist, right? I, I try to be realistic about, I mean, what is going on, but I think that knowledge is really growing and 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 and, and, and with proper distribution, people are going to be making a lot of money in, in the continents. And and so, yeah, um, the future for me is just like as in totally bright. Oh, okay. All right. Um, thank you very, very much for joining me on this episode of Nollywood Backstories. I mean, it's been amazing, the conversations we've had from, you know, from your um, little projects, in quotes, uh, Umule, Game of Life, Mommy, Mommy Lagos, to Waiting Day, you know, to The Fattening Room, to Blood and Hina, Confusion Nawa, Lost Cafe, uh, Sons of the Caliphate, and of course, Oloturi, and, you know, your relationship with... Um, the likes of Ali Nuhu, um, Tom Roland El Reese, and of course, Muhabudu. I um, mean, it's been a robust and amazing conversation. And thank you very much for uh, for coming on this episode of Nollywood Backstories. Thank you.